0: Welcome to this episode of the New Life Christian Fellowship Podcast. Here is your host, Pastor Eric Stillman. Well, this morning I am beginning a new sermon series that I've entitled Revival. Um, My hope in this sermon series is that uh, as we spend this time on these Sundays that uh, we would be led into deeper prayer, uh, deeper experience of God, that we would ask Him more and more um, just from a greater, greater spiritual life in our church, individually, collectively, and that through that power, through that glory, that we would bring his salvation and redemption to this world. Amen? So we're going to be praying and seeking God for revival. So this morning, I started in Ephesians 1, verse 1, in the beginning of worship, and I want to continue in Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. So after Paul has outlined all the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ, after he has let the Ephesians know how often he thanks God for them, remembering them in his prayers, he goes on to actually tell them what he's praying for them about. And I find this prayer to be very powerful and very instructive for us as we talk about revival and prayer and a deeper experience of God. So take this prayer to heart this morning from Ephesians chapter 1, 15 to 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his, inglorious in, of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let me pray before we continue. Lord, prepare our hearts, please, Open our ears. Help us to hear, to take this to heart, to understand what this means, to be transformed by your word and by your presence here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, Paul has outlined the spiritual blessings that are theirs. He tells them he's praying for them and he lays out here four things in particular that he's praying for them that I'm gonna go through one by one. He says, I'm praying that you would know God better. I'm praying that you would know the hope to which you have been called praying that you would know the glorious riches of your inheritance and I pray that you would know the power that is available to you. It's great. You know, again, he's not just praying some vague blessing over them, right? He's not praying for, you know, their, their health, for their sore knee. He's not just praying for the things that we often pray for, but he's praying for something deeper, something more profound that is going to carry them through whatever comes their way, right? whether they have material blessings or not, these are the things he's saying you need to know that I'm praying for you. So starting with the first one, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. You know, again, he's not just saying, I'm praying you'll know God better. He's he's asking, God, give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He recognizes that apart from the Holy Spirit, you can't see God, you can't know God. Unless God... The Holy Spirit reveals God to you. You can't just decide one day you want to know God better. Right? It's, it's a spiritual thing. God is, does not have a body. He is immaterial. And apart from the Spirit of God revealing God to you, you cannot know God. Think of how Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4, he said, The God of this age, referring to Satan, the enemy, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You know, that tells me that no matter how much I try to argue someone <laughs> into the faith, unless the Holy Spirit lifts the veil, reveals to God to them, my efforts are in vain. That the God of this age, the enemy has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They can't see the glory of the gospel. They hear the words about Jesus, and it just falls in deaf ears, it goes in one ear and out the other. It means nothing, there is no glory to it. I don't know if you have a history in your life of of BC before Christ or after Christ, you know, where you came to faith. For me, it was at 18 years old, first week of college, where I gave my life to Christ. And I can see that even though I had read the Bible, even though I had prayed, even though I had done things beforehand, it absolutely meant nothing to me. There was no meaning. There was no glory. There was no light. There was nothing. It was just like reading a dry book. Prayer meant nothing. But then after... Coming to Christ, it came alive in a way that I had never thought possible. That there was a hunger, a desire to know God, to know His Word, to be with other believers, to worship that had never been there before. Is that because someone taught me? Is that because I decided one day I wanted to know God? No, it was a work of the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit revealed God to me in a way that I had never known previously. And so he prays that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would help them to know God better. Because even those of us who know God, we don't see God clearly, do we? We don't see him and know him for who he is. In Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, it's like we see in a glass dimly, right? It's dark, it's dim. We don't quite see God in all his glory and who he is. We have misconceptions of who he is, what he's like. And so, God, and so Paul prays and asks Him. I want you to know God better for who he truly is. Pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would help you to know God better. Thankfully, we have Jesus to help us. John 14, 8 through 10, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Thank God, you know, Jesus came down. And yes, he came to die on the cross to save us from our sins. But he also came to reveal to us what the Father is like, who God is. is. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. He says, don't you know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Again, I know I'm speaking to things beyond my comprehension and talk about knowing God, what God is like. But I do believe we got to start here, right? When it comes to revival, when it comes to prayer, praying that we would know God better. That he would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him. If you truly knew God's glory, you wouldn't be seeking glory and honor anywhere else in this world. If you truly knew the love of God, nobody else's love would captivate you you wouldn't be captive to anyone else's love or whether or not they love you or not because his love would be enough. If you truly knew his grace over you, how he doesn't treat you as your sins and faults deserve, but he loves you, then nobody else's opinion of you would matter, not even your own because you know how loved you are by him. If you truly knew his holiness, you would take sin more seriously. You would run as far as possible away from it. If you knew how just he was, you would have a heart for justice as well. If you knew his mercy, how he hasn't treated you as your sins deserve, you would live your life in constant gratitude, praising him. If you knew God, it would transform your life if you truly knew him. So first and foremost, we pray this morning that God would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know him better. Second thing he prays for them is that they would know the hope to which they were called. He says in verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Because the eyes of your head don't necessarily see hope when you look around you, I'm sure, right? There's a lot of circumstances you look at and you just say, I see no hope. I see no hope in this person. I see no hope in this marriage. I see no hope in this job. I see no hope in my bank account. There's so many things I don't see hope with. He says, pray that God would open the eyes of your heart, that you'd be able to see spiritually the hope to which he has called you, no matter what your circumstances are like, the hope that is in Christ. How badly do we need hope? A reason to get up in the morning, a reason to look and feel like the future is better is, is gonna be better than it is today. That even death is not the end. How badly we need hope. Just think about if you sent two people to prison and you told one that their family was gonna be there waiting for them when they get out. And you tell the other one that his wife and his kids have moved on, they don't want anything to do with him anymore. Which one is gonna be able to endure with hope? How important it is to be able to endure whatever we're going through to have hope. That's how important it is. And so he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. One of the greatest sermons on hope, very simple sermon given by Jonathan Edwards when he was 18 years old. He summarized it this way, that our hope as Christians is this, that our bad things will turn out for good. Our good things can never be taken away and the best is yet to come. It's a very simple, but beautiful biblical outline says, the reason for our hope is this. This is the hope to which you've been called. First of all, your bad things will turn out for good. No matter what has happened to you, God is working all things together for good. That's what he says, Romans 8, 28 to 29. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What hope is there in that passage, amen? That no matter what I am going through, No matter what someone has done to me, no matter what I do to myself, God is always at work for good. He can take any situation and bring good out of it. It Brings me such hope whenever I'm going through times that just feel hopeless to look to this verse and remember that God is at work for good. Our good things can never be taken away from us. In fact, he just said this in Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. You also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. See that word guarantee in there? It says he's given you the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance, that all the good things that are yours will never be taken away, that will be yours forever. It doesn't mean you don't lose things in this world, but those things that our heart is truly after, the love, the joy, the peace, the order, everything that our hearts are truly after will be ours forever. He's given us the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Our good things will never be taken away. Nothing, he says in Romans 8, will ever separate us from the love of Christ. Everything we've done for him says we're storing up treasure in heaven. It matters eternally. And then thirdly, the best is yet to come. What are the reasons for our hope? Our bad things turn out for good. Our good things will never be taken away and the best is yet to come. I mean, the Bible, you read the Bible and it just struggles to capture in words what it'll be like on that day. There's no earthly language that could ever summarize. You know, it talks about streets of gold and talks about wedding, of the wedding feast of the bride and the groom. All these images are the best earthly language we have to put into words, the glory of the joy, the ecstasy, the intimacy, all of it that will be ours forever on that day. The best is yet to come. 1 Corinthians 2, nine. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Just meditate on that for a minute. You can't even put it into words. You never even heard anything that could compare, could describe what is to come. Romans 8.18, Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The best is yet to come. In Philippians 1.21, Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. As long as I'm living here, I'm going to serve him, and then when I die, it's going to be better. Be with him forever. The hope to which he has called you. So Paul prays. He says, I pray that you would know God better, that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know God. If you truly knew him, it would transform the way you live and what you go after and how you feel about yourself and about everything in life. Pray that you would know the hope to which he has called you, that no matter what you go through, he's always working for good, that the good things will be yours eternally forever, that the best is yet to come. What hope there is in that. And then thirdly, he says, the riches of your inheritance— Verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Again, these are things that are beyond my comprehension, but he is saying, you know how when someone dies, they leave an inheritance. It says the greatest, the most wealthy inheritance in this world does not compare to what you have in store waiting for you. And if you truly believe that, how would that change your approach to money, possessions, things in this world? If you knew that everything is yours forever, why run after the things of this world the way we do when there's treasure in heaven? 1 Peter 1, 3-5, Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Again, he says he's given you new birth through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You've been born again. You've been made new. You belong to him now. And he has an inheritance for you that you could never put into words. The glory, the beauty, the riches, all of it, Forever. We will have God. We will be like Him. We'll have perfect fellowship with Him, unity with Him. Romans eight, fifteen, to eighteen, the Spirit Himself testifies with our Spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. How would it transform you if you knew nothing in this world is ever going to compare? It doesn't matter if you're a millionaire in this world. It doesn't matter if you have the biggest house. It doesn't matter what you have in this world. It does not compare. It is not worth running after. It doesn't compare to the inheritance that you have. Maybe it would be like this: Matthew thirteen forty-four to forty-six, where Jesus said, "The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found that he hid it again, and then in his joy he went and he sold all he had and he bought that field." Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. What's his point there? Saying like once you find Jesus, once you find God, once you understand the inheritance of what is found in him, (laughs) it's like, if you truly understand that you would go and sell everything you have and run after that and buy that and go after that with everything you have, it's worth giving up everything for. Doesn't mean that you have to go out and sell your home today, right? But he's saying everything is his. Everything belongs to him. Everything I own, my time, my energy, my money, my possessions, it's all his for his kingdom, for his glory, whatever he wants me to do with it. He prays that they would know God better. He prays that they would know the hope to which they've been called. He prays that they would know the riches of their inheritance. And then finally, he prays that they would know the power available to them. Again, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ, When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So, in order to help them understand this power, he says, Listen, this is the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. That's greater power than anyone, anything in this world has. The same power that could raise a man from the dead lives in you by his Holy Spirit, is available to you. You ever look at your life and you're like, I just don't know how I can get past this this sin, this issue. I don't know how this is ever going to turn around, this circumstance. This is the same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to you. There is no can't. There is no, I don't know how this could ever turn around, this could ever happen. The same power is available to you by his Holy Spirit. The power to overcome addiction. The power to destroy sin. The power... To heal disease, the power to restore relationship, to forgive anything. Now there is no promise that all those things will happen in the sight of heaven, but that same power is available to you. I mean, read this passage. Take this one in heart: John fourteen twelve to thirteen. Jesus said, "I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son." may bring glory to the Father. Now, asking something in Jesus' name doesn't mean tacking on in Jesus' name at the end of a prayer. It means asking things according to his will, according to his character. Okay, so it doesn't mean God give me a million dollars in Jesus' name. But it means anything that you're asking according to his character, according to his will, that he'll do. He says, you'll do greater things than what I've done because I'm going to the Father, I'm at the right hand, I'm praying for you, interceding for you. How many of us could say, looking at our lives, that this has been true in our lives, that we've seen greater things? Probably none of us. Is it because God is not true to his word? Or is it because we are still busy running after the things of this world, living for the things of this world, living for ourselves, seeking not his inheritance, but the inheritance of this world, putting our hope in the things of this world and not hope in him, living for our kingdom instead of his kingdom? still making ourselves the center of the universe instead of putting him on the throne where he belongs. This is what I want to be true of us, you know? This would be revival. (laughs) This would be to see God doing the things that Jesus did in our midst. It doesn't just happen while you're just throwing up a five-second prayer in the midst of your day, right? I mean, this this comes from a life dedicated, submitted to him, surrendered to him, set apart for him, A church that seeks him on their knees in prayer and fasting. Wanting to see his kingdom come, his will be done. Wanting to see him glorified. Trusting in him. Putting their hope in him. Not running after the things of this world. Not looking to the things and people of this world to save. But putting our hope in him. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, and this is my prayer for you, and this is hopefully our prayer for ourselves and for each other, that we would know God better, that he would give the spirit of wisdom and revelation to help us to know God for who he truly is, that we would know the hope to which he has called us, that no matter what we go through, he's always working for good, that our good things will be ours forever, that the best is yet to come, that we would know the riches of our inheritance, all he has for us, so that we wouldn't be captivated by the things of this world that cannot hold a candle to what God has for us, and that we would know the power that is available to us. I mean, it's like having a lottery ticket that you don't want to cash in. It says you have this power available to you, but you're too busy going after other things, trusting in other things to cash it in. So let's pray. Let's pray along with this passage. Father, we do pray along with Paul that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you better. Forgive us for the misconceptions we've had of you, the ways that we have doubted you. Help us to see you high and lifted up, to see you clearly to know you better, your holiness, your love, your mercy, your justice, your grace, all of it, God, help us to know you better. We know that on our own, we can't do that, so we ask for your spirit to reveal the Father to us. We pray that you might help us to know the hope that we have in you. No matter what we go through, God, I pray that you would buoy our hearts with your hope lift us up our eyes up to you to be encouraged and strengthened to persevere to endure to continue to love to continue to serve and to continue to walk with you god no matter what because of the hope that's in front of us lord help us to know the riches of the glorious inheritance that we have that we wouldn't be captivated by anything in this world but instead we would store up treasure in heaven give everything that we have for that pearl of great price, for the treasure hidden in the field, everything that we would have, that we have would be yours Lord, to do with what you will, and God help us to know the power that is available to us, and not just to know it, but to experience your power in our lives, the power that can overcome sin, break addiction heal disease, cast out demons restore relationships Transform churches and communities, Lord. There is such power available that we have not even begun to tap into, Lord. Not even begun to take advantage of, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, for having too small a vision. Enlarge our vision, Lord, that we might see you and live for you with everything that we are, so that you might be glorified through our lives and through our church. Bring revival, Lord, to this church that you might be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the New Life Christian Fellowship Podcast. We are located at 1155 Silas Dean Highway in Wethersfield, Connecticut and can be found online at newlife-ct.org. No redistribution or use of any kind of this recording is allowed without express written consent of New Life Christian Fellowship.